Well, I uh, reached into the closet today and I remembered how I had, was forced to dress up last week. So I kind of went the other way. And I have tennis shoes on for the first time in a while and a t-shirt, so please forgive me. I won't, oh, anyway, but forgive me. Well, you guys, I'm sorry, I, I have to look this up on my phone because I took a picture of it. I looked up the word drama today. No, 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 not the drama you're laughing about. I'm talking about the movie kind of drama, the story kind of drama. You guys thought I was going to talk about masks some more, didn't you? Listen to this uh, definition. Drama is based on conflict. (laughs) You still think it's about masks, huh? And not just any conflict, but one that is powerful. Let me read that again. We're talking about a drama like in a book or a movie or a play. Drama is based on conflict, and not just any conflict, but one that is powerful, relatable, and complex enough to propel a story forward and help develop characters. Did you hear that? Help develop characters. The story has to be consistently progressing and increasingly more involved as dramas are most likely genre to get stale or boring. So this is just a secular definition of what drama is. Don't you love a good drama? You know, somebody asked me the other day, uh, when I was a kid, I used to watch WWF, right? And we all know, right, about WWF. I don't want to say it while the cameras are rolling, but that's not real, folks. Oh. But it lures people in. You know why it lures people in? Because the WWF, or whatever it's called now, WWE or whatever, they're masters at drama. They have conflict. And they have the good, you know, wrestlers and the bad wrestlers. And every once in a while, one of the most favorite wrestlers, maybe the good one, will go over to the dark side. Sound like a movie theme? And what the WWF does, if you don't know, is they uh, highlight their wrestlers. They get you, the audience, to know the stories of the wrestlers, how they became, you know, whatever their nickname is. And they'll do, uh, uh, you know, little uh, uh, document, mini documentaries or pieces on them. So, and, and then, obviously, through the, you know, Monday nights or the Tuesday nights, you start to learn about the wrestlers and you care about them. And what happens is you get hooked on the storylines, right? And uh, I remember as a kid, not really a kid, I guess middle school, I guess that's a kid, in high school, you know, my brother and I would watch that, and my parents would come in and say, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? I mean, you're wasting. And we would say, yeah, but, you know, uh, you know Jimmy Snuka could jump through the air, and uh, Nikita, you know, all these guys, and you don't know what he did to him because we knew the stories, and we were hooked. Well, a drama is playing out in the book of Revelation. And in chapters 12... 13 and 14, and really beyond after that, what, what's happening is, and I don't think it's 
this is real, what's going to happen. It's not some, something that's fictional, but you're going to start learning about the characters who are involved in the tribulation period. So we have been, for all these weeks, 11 weeks or so, probably a little bit more than that, we have been kind of just following the timeline of what uh, Revelation is. And now what we're going to find out is who's involved in the meat, in the heart of the book, or excuse me, of the program, of God's program, as it unfolds uh, forever. For those who haven't come, we simply are, oh, by the way, you're going to need a pen, you're going to need something to write on, so uh, if Eric or Kelly or somebody can pass out a pen, you're going to want a pen tonight, because you're going to want to write down who these people are. But Revelation 1.19, that's what we're following. I'll say it every week probably, write the things which you have seen, Jesus tells John, the revelator. He's telling John, write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1, the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ. And then write the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3. You know I'm doing this so we'll remember it, right? Because <laughs> at the end we're going to have a quiz. No. That's from the class. But anyway, uh, chapters 2 and 3, who, write the things which are. What, are. what are the things that are? He's writing to the seven churches. The churches. He writes to the churches. And then we talked about that. The churches can represent the church age and uh, different periods of church history. But what words he speaks to the churches. And then not only write the things which you have seen and the things which are, but the things which will take place after this. So there's a divine outline written right for you. In Revelation 1, verse 19, you'll never forget it because I've gone over it so much and you're tired of it. But don't tire of it. Somebody's car's beeping. <laughs> okay, so uh, write the things which uh, you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And then you flip over to chapter 4. And it says something interesting there. It says, after these things. It's the exact same Greek phrase. That is, will take place after this. In other words, chapter 1, verse 19, write the things that take place after this. Those things begin uh, in chapters 4 through basically the rest of the book. Now, 4 and 5 are a picture of the church in heaven during the tribulation period, during the time that the Lord has called up the church in the rapture, and they're there in heaven, we're there in heaven while the tribulation's going on, and tribulation's taking place chapters 6 through 19. In the middle of chapter 19, Jesus comes back to this earth to rule and reign with his saints, which are you, us, and then there's the millennial kingdom. That's chapter 20. And then after the millennial kingdom, and I'm not very smart, but even I know millennial means 1,000, so after a thousand-year period, chapters 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth. This earth fades away, passes away, and there, be, we, uh, there becomes a new heaven and a new earth. And that's the whole story of the book of Revelation. And we find ourselves in chapter 12. And what just happened was the seventh trumpet was blown. And we know, we think, probably that's the midpoint that's the midpoint, three and a half years into the tribulation period, which lasts for seven years. And the reason you and I and we know that it lasts for seven years is because we've studied the book of Daniel. We really haven't. 
here at the church, but we're going to. I was real reticent about doing Revelation before Daniel, but we'll catch up. But in Daniel chapter 9, it speaks of a 70th week of Daniel, 69 weeks. I always point to my watch. Israel is God's timepiece. There's 69 weeks for uh, Israel. Then there's a seventh week that comes after the church age. We're currently in the church age. What starts off or kicks off the seven-year period of tribulation? Well, you want to know this now. Is that there's this person, a great statesman called the Antichrist, and he makes some sort of covenant or pact that starts to solve things in the Middle East, and simultaneous with that, or right around the same time, or even before, the rapture has happened. Then we have this covenant of peace, and now we've been studying. Why did I just go through all of that? Up to this point, we've been studying, really, the first half of the three and a half years of the tribulation, although that's not exactly true, because some were pictures uh, of what's going on in heaven during the entire time. But you get the idea, right? Now, the seventh trumpet has been blown. Do you realize this? There was a scroll. It's all part of the scroll. And there were seven seals on the scroll. So there was only one who was worthy to unleash the scroll. That was the lamb. The lamb did one, two, three, and there were very harsh judgments. But what happened was he got to the seventh seal, and he unleashed it or unhooked it, And there came out of that seven trumpet judgments. And when we get to the seventh uh, trumpet judgment now, we're going to, after we take a little break to see the drama unfold because of the characters that we see take place or have have a place in the tribulation, we're going to see that there's seven more bowl judgments. You understand that? So I'm trying to orient you to where we are in the story of of, um, of revelation. Now, what I said last week, and I want you to know this, this is a revealing of Jesus Christ. So sometimes we can get caught up in all the interpretations and the charts and the timing, and it is fascinating, but don't get lost. This is about Jesus. This is about the one who saved our spiritual and and we'll see, you know, our physical lives, who saved our lives. And we're going to live with him for eternity. And I want to tell you something. Do you know that the Bible tells us that you can know, that you know, that you know that you have eternal life? That's in the book of First, Second, Third John, right? You can know. He says it, First John. You can know that you have eternal life. You know how you know that you have the eternal life? Do you have the Son? By the way, there's a scripture that says, He's apprehended me, and I've apprehended Him. So if you have the Son, and He has you, and really it's a better way of saying this is, does the Son have you? If the Son has you, you have eternal life. If you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ at, his, at the cross and his resurrection and you've said, Lord, I want you to be my all in all, you have eternal life. And this is the plan for your life. <laughs> this is all about what you'll be doing for eternity. Got it? Whew. According to Jesus, 
All the way back in the Old Testament, all the way back in the Old Testament, the, here these folks go over to a land and get caught up in s- slavery and bondage to sin, and they can't free themselves. And, you know, the, they, they send their leader out to beg and plead with the leader of the country, Egypt, and they, you know, come on, we just want to go out in the, the wilderness and worship. And you know the story. The Pharaoh won't let him go, let, let them go, right? He, he says he will, but he doesn't. And then all the plagues come. And then finally, there's one last one. And all that had to be done is that you put the blood over the doorpost at your house. In other words, to the home of your heart, or the home where you live, over your family, over everything that's dear to you, the thing that saves you is nothing you do. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that saves you. The blood of the lamb in that case, but we know the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you getting it? So you don't have to worry, am I going to make it? Am I good enough, Christian? One of of my pet peeves is this. I'll tell you one of my pet peeves. You ready? I, I hate it when people say this, but don't, don't, if you said this to me, don't, I won't ever say it to you, but now you know. I wish I was a better Christian. But see, the point is, oh, I hear people putting up their hands back there. <laughs> Listen, you either are a Christian or you're not a Christian. You've either applied the blood or you haven't. You've either surrendered your life to Christ or you haven't. Now, once you get into the family of God, will there be struggles? Of course. But I want you, when you get done with this study tonight, to rest in Jesus. Because the Bible tells us how we can overcome the enemy right here in this chapter. And overcoming the enemy is not by you doing more Bible studies, folks. And I love Bible studies. Nobody likes them in here more than I do. Maybe. But you get the point. You ready for it? Let's do it. Wow, that was a big old introduction. Now a great sign, verse 1 of chapter 12, appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. Here we go. We're starting to see the characters. We got to figure out who the characters are. It won't make sense until you figure out who the characters are. So there's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign, that's sign number two, appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. So we need to figure out who the red dragon is. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Well, that's interesting. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Uh, Threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. To devour her child as soon as it was born. Sound familiar? Christmas time? Okay, well, we'll get back to it in a minute. She bore a male child who was to rule over all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Three and a half years. Hmm. Right at the midpoint, you see. And war broke out in heaven. Here comes another actor or a person, a character. Michael. 
and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they didn't prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old, ah, even I can figure it out. Who's the dragon? The serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then he heard a loud voice saying in heaven, a loud voice in heaven, uh, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come to the accuser of our brethren. To the accuser of our brethren. There's another word for him. Uh, they uh, before our God, who, excuse me, who accused them before our God day and night. Day and night uh, has been cast down. And they overcome, came him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their lives to the death. Hmm. I spoke about that on Sunday. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, And the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Man, if you just read the Bible, it just unfolds itself, doesn't it? Wow. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. It's key we figure out who this woman is, who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and a times, uh, for a time and times and a half a time. Another way of saying three and a half years. So the serpent spewed out or water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Wow. Pretty interesting, huh? Well, Lord, thank you for this night, and help us, would you, to understand these things. We need help. Lord, uh, just as we work through this, as we talk about these things, we pray that your words would come from heaven so that um, you would be glorified in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are. The seventh trumpet has happened. Uh, there's joy in heaven. Kingdoms have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Do you understand? Do you understand what's happening in chapter 11? If you read the end of chapter 11, look, God's victory is advancing. You get this? God's victory is advancing. And we know that there's a seven-year period of time, Daniel's 70th week. Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Why is it called that? Well, here's why. Because the tribulation period is when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world and does business again with the nation of Israel or still with the nation of Israel because we know Romans 9 10 and 11 is like an exhibit to an amazing brief called the book of Romans. And the exhibit is, see Israel. If you want to see what grace is like, it's as if Paul, in a legal brief, took it and stuck it to the back or in the middle of the book of Romans and said, see Israel. And at the end of that, chapter 11, he says, all Israel shall be saved. Right? 
Israel. So God is advancing here. We see in chapter 11, his kingdom, his program. And now there's this great sign that appears in heaven to John. And there's this woman that's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And people fight endlessly about who this woman is. But if you'll do the doctrine of first mention, go to the place where this is first mentioned to the Bible and stick with that, you probably aren't going to have so many problems. And if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, I think you're going to see... Something that's pretty plain, I hope. The doctrine of first mention, Genesis chapter 37. Remember when Joseph is messing around with his brothers? (laughs) And Joseph has these dreams. Remember this? And he's not shy. He's 17 years old, and he's feeding the flock out with his brothers, and He knew that Israel loved him, and his brother knew that Israel, the dad, knew that uh, the brothers knew that Joseph was the favored one because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Remember, Donnie Osmond wore it in the Broadway show? Okay, never mind. And Joseph had a dream there in verse 5, and he told it to his brothers, look, and they hated him even more. He said, have this dream. There were, were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheaf arose, and there stood upright. Indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Like, if I had that dream, and, you know, my brother's six years older than me, and he liked to beat me up a lot. I probably wouldn't say this to my brother. Hey, you know, God told me that I was the favored one, and you basically are not. That's what Joseph's doing here. And his brothers said to him in verse 8, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. And then here it comes, he dreams still another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed dreamed another dream. And this time, uh uh-oh, the sun, the moon, and why does he say 11 stars? Because he's the 12th star. There's 12 tribes or 12 brothers. The 11 stars bowed down to me. So what is it talking about? It's talking about the tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, those who've come from Israel. So you go back and you say, well, is this woman the church? Well, the church is the bride of Christ, not the mother of Christ. And if you apply the doctrine of first mention... It's clearly talking about the nation of Israel that started with the 12 tribes. You see it back there. This woman is Israel. You have a woman clothed with the sun and the moon and her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. To you and I reading that with no knowledge of the Old Testament, it means absolutely nothing. But to people who are reading this, they're like, oh, wow, Joseph's second dream. Get it? Then being with child, and you don't have to guess who the child is. Because all you do is you turn, at least in my Bible, you turn the page or you go down to the several more uh, or just a couple more uh, verses, and you see this. And this dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to her, devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child. Jesus came He's Jewish, folks. 
He came from the tribe of Judah to devour her child as soon as it was born. And this is telling the story, isn't it? That the enemy from the get-go has had a problem with the woman. I mean, I understand I'm mixing this just a little bit, but just turn with me back to Genesis 3. Where is it here? Wait a minute. I I can't see up here. It's dark. So the temptation is that the serpent comes to the woman, right? And you know the story, but this is important for tonight. The serpent said to the woman, you know, you're not surely die. Has God, what, wait a minute, wait a minute. Has God really said you shouldn't eat of every tree of the garden? No, the woman said to the serpent, well, we can eat some of the fruit, but fruit of trees, but that which is in the midst, now God said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said, wait, you're not going to die, for God knows, listen to this, this is the important part. I want you to file this away for the rest of the night. For, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and look, 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 you will be like God. Now, who was cast out of heaven for wanting to be like God, Isaiah 14 tells us. The enemy, the one who's tempting her. And you go on and you read the story and you know, verse 15, and I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head. Yeah, he's going to strike at you. You might even have to go up on the cross, but you're going to bruise his heel. In other words, you're Uh, you shall bruise his heel, right? He shall bruise your head, and uh, you shall bruise his heel. The Lord is going to take a blow, but he's going to deliver the biggest blow and overcome you. That's what that means. But there's enmity between him and the woman, right? And we know back in Revelation that the enemy is Israel, and you, every Christmas, I think, I try to work this in every Christmas, That the Christmas story ain't some happy, you know, frosty tree, latte, uh, get around the yuletide and sing story. It's a story of murderous death. Uh, Because there's this man named Herod that ordered the death of babies in the area two years and old, younger. Two years and younger, right? What was he trying to do? As he was influenced, he maybe didn't even know it, he was trying to say, oh my gosh, I'm so prideful, I don't want any other kings in the area, maybe, but he was under the influence of the enemy of our souls trying to do what? Keep that baby from being born. But he couldn't thwart the purposes and plans of God. You get it? And then you see all throughout the the Bible. I mean, I've read or listened to Veggie Tales. Haman and Esther, come on. No, I've read it too, okay? In fact, I have this. Oh, I have a Veggie Tales thing. No, but I'm kidding around. But listen, you've read the book of Esther, and you know that Haman, what did he want to do? He wanted to annihilate, wipe out the Jews when he had, what do you think that was from? There's even this place in 1 Kings. We went through it this year 
just a few months ago. Do you remember this? In 1 Kings, where the line that Jesus was coming through got down to one little baby. Nobody else to ascend to the throne. A baby king, a child king. It came down to one kid. The enemy had wiped everybody out. Why do you think there was an attack there? Because he didn't want Matthew chapter 2 to even get to that point where Herod had to order that. He wanted the enemy to be thwarted, and it goes through all through the Bible till you get to Herod. Herod couldn't do it. If you read Psalm 22, it's a description of what the Messiah seen from the cross looking that way. And he says, I'm up there on the cross, I'm paraphrasing, and I see the bulls of Bashan out there looking at me. I think the bulls of Bashan are the enemies of our soul, the demons who are there wondering, did we get him? And they thought they got him at the cross. And why is that? Why am I going through all this? Why am I telling you all this? Because everywhere that woman has gone, Israel, this fiery dragon was there to devour and kill. Why do you think there's this strange thing that's diabolical and evil? There's this fixation in the world on this little peewee little country that's no bigger than Rhode Island. Why? And there's this anti-Semitism that runs rampant. Why do you think it is? It's motivated by the enemies of our soul. Because we read, time is short. You say, well, wait a minute. He died and rose again already. Yes, but he's now trying to prevent us from coming back with the Lord. He's so desperate. You understand what I'm trying to say? I'm rambling a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, well, some of you ain't saying that. (laughs) but it says here that the 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 dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born and she but she bore a married child i mean there was herod right there to kill but she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron again if you don't know the old testament you probably don't know this but in the most right off the bat you can just turn there or maybe you can just take my word for it because I'm running out of time. In Psalm 2, it's a messianic psalm. It says the Messiah is going to rule with a rod of iron. It actually says when Jesus comes back, he's going to have a rod of iron in Revelation 19. So this is clearly Jesus Christ. Who birthed Jesus Christ? The woman, Israel. He came from Israel. And now the enemy, the fiery dragon, who we're told is the devil and Satan, who's the serpent of old, who deceives the whole world, who Jesus said was a liar, a murderer, who comes to seek, uh, to seek to kill and destroy. He's called in other places now the God of this age, little g, and he's called the prince of the power of the air. Because currently, you see, in a sense, he rules this place. That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We, we fight against principalities of darkness. You know this. Powers. Okay. Now go back just a little bit. There was this great fiery dragon. Now what's all this? Listen to this. What's the, all this about seven heads? 
in all this sort of thing. Seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems. What's, what's all that about? Well, just turn with me real quick over to uh, 17, chapter 17. And we're not going to go through this in detail tonight because we're going to go through it in detail when we get to 17. But I just want you to see something. Uh, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet. Right, right there? And they're going to make war with the lamb, and the lamb is going to overcome them. Up above it says there are seven kings in chapter 10. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And if you study church history... What are these seven heads? Well, in one sense, do you know there's seven hills around uh, Italy and Rome? But these seven heads represent seven different kingdoms. Now, folks, you've been going through the Old Testament with me, so I'm going to be really disappointed if you don't know them. Who's the first enemy, country, kingdom? I just mentioned it, Pharaoh. Egypt, right? Egypt. And then when we get into the kings, I talk in, in, the, in, 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 in Isaiah, there was a country that came and then dominated later and uh, persecuted the Jews, and they actually took them out with fish hooks, made them naked, and walked them out. The ten tribes, that's Assyria. Remember that? And then Babylon came on the scene, Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then uh, the Medo-Persians came on the scene. They started to dominate. Uh, handwriting on the wall, you know all this stuff. Then the Greeks came, and do you know Alexander the Great got all the way to Jerusalem and left her alone? And then what happened after the Greeks? Well, the Romans took over. We're now up to six. But when you go back to that 17... Just real quick, it says, seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, but there's also seven kings. So it does talk about geography, but it also talks about governments or societies, and five have fallen. I gave you five, and the sixth one has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time, and the beast, uh, that is, okay, five have fallen, one is Sorry, I missed that. The one that is, is Rome. <laughs> Rome was, at the time, 96 AD, it was the... And guess what's happening again? Number seven is Rome, part two. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom, uh, but they receive authority for one hour as a king with the beast. And if you study all the scriptures, and we will, listen, it appears that there is a ten-nation confederation. Rome, you know, you got Rome, and then you got Rome too, that seems to originate in Europe, Rome being central to it, that the Antichrist uses to help him do the stuff that he's going to do during the tribulation period. And we're going to study that in detail. Now, why did I tell you all that? Because you're saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon. But why does he have seven heads? And why does he have ten horns? And why does he have seven diadems on his heads? 
And you're like, well, if you read chapter 17, it seems to be, many people think it is, the next society of this, or the next um, conglomeration of this 10 nation confederation that seems to originate Europe, Rome, or Italy being uh, the place that it really is centered in. Okay. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, you know this, right? In Ezekiel 28, like 14 through 16, right in there, I'm paraphrasing, but it basically says that the enemy was the perfect cherubim. I mean, this guy was like a worship instrument, like he was it. I mean, he was the perfect cherub, but he sinned because he wanted to, in Isaiah 14, 14, wanted to be like God, and apparently he was then cast out of heaven with one-third of the angels. And we saw some of that in Peter. We saw some of that in Jude. So you piece together all of the Bible, and it appears that the enemy, devil, is an angel who was cast out of heaven. He was this amazing worship angel, but he wanted to be like God. And he was cast out of heaven. And, th- and uh, a third of the stars or angels were thrown with him to the earth. You get it? Okay. And the dragon stood before the woman. I taught on this. She bore a male child who was re- to rule over all the nations. We see that in Psalm 2. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Of course he is. He sits at the right hand of the Father. This is important. There's one mediator between God and man. It's our Christ Jesus, the great high priest. He lives now for intercession for us. And the intercession isn't like, oh, wow, Jan's really messing up today. Oh, Lord, can help her, help her, help her. It's not that. He just basically is there with his nails in his hands, his wrists and his feet, the blood, and he's just saying, Wow, I've opened the channel for Jan. So that's what he's doing. This is, of course, Jesus. Then the woman, listen to this. Why? There's this woman who flees, Israel flees or fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Well, In other words, the back half the last half of the tribulation period, it appears that Israel needs to flee because of the persecution and the hate that spewed against it, motivated by the enemy or the devil. You got it? You know what? Jesus even spoke about it. He spoke about it in the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24. Go there so you can just see it. Uh, Jesus spoke about this. Oop, it's not in 25. Verse 15, there were, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. It's going to be so bad and so awful that the Jews are going to have to flee. Now, we know from another uh, book, Zechariah, that unfortunately the Bible tells us that two-thirds of the Jews are going to die, but a remnant's going to be saved, one-third of the Jews. And I believe this is speaking of that 
place where they flee and God prepares a place for them so that they're protected and they're even fed there. Israel. So war broke out in heaven. Here, we're shifting gears now. God's shifting gears. He's showing us a different character. He wants you to know something, I think. He wants me to know something. Because you know what I get caught up in? Things like, um, see, I'm a lawyer, so trial reports. Sounds really interesting, doesn't it? I get caught up in um, computers not working and my passwords and uh, I've got to pay this bill and then this. And then I think what the Lord's doing in this section is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Those are all, you've got to do those. You've got to be responsible. But I want you to come back out and look to the big picture. That's what I think he's saying right here. And he's saying war broke out in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Now, you know, Michael and the angels have fought with the devil before. Remember? I just, if you were here on Sundays... You know when Moses was buried, they fought over his body? These two. Do you know in Daniel 10, there's prayers being going up, and this angel arrives like three weeks later and says, you didn't have to worry about anything. I heard your prayers, or we heard your prayers up there. God heard your prayers, and he sent me. But the prince of Persia, the enemy of your souls, try to detain me. In other words, there's this massive struggle going on in the world. What do you think the struggle's for, folks? The struggle is, A, not to get Jesus to be born. That failed. Uh, Not to have Jesus be successful in his mission. (laughs) He died and rose again. The Bible said he conquered the principalities and powers. I like the uppercut theme. He just, he just jacked him, man. Poof. Blew him away. They thought he had him, and he conquered them. He overcame them. But now listen, the enemy still knows there's this program coming where there's the rapture and the tribulation, and then uh, Jesus coming back with his church. And what he's saying is, I'm going to stop as many people as I can. In fact, I want people not even to believe in this stuff. And then If there's any way I could stop Jesus from coming back, let's see if we can try that. And here, some sort of war breaks out between Michael and the dragon. And the dragon and his angels, apparently that one-third of angels against the two-third plus Michael, fight. But they didn't prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. What? You told me he was cast out of heaven. He was cast out of heaven, but listen, I think he still has access to heaven, and so do you. Because you read Job 1 and Job 2. And even though he was cast out of heaven, somehow, some way, uh, he has access to heaven because he was discussing with God Job. Remember? You say, well, okay. But they didn't prevail, so he was cast, uh, uh, nor was a place found in him, so the great dragon was cast out. So some people believe this is talking about that first casting out. Some people believe this is talking about a second casting out. In other words, You've been cast out. You're the prince of the air. You still have access to heaven, but we're shutting that down now. Two different beliefs right there. You be a Berean and think, uh, believe what you uh, come to the conclusion of. Because the point is this. The serpent of old called the devil who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And here Satan is smack dab right here 
you know, moving and operating with a goal of getting in the way of the Lord's end times. <laughs> Look at this. Then I heard a loud sound in heaven. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now this is totally fascinating. I want you to think about something for a minute. You know when we get raptured, one of the things we're going to do is get a glorified, resurrected body. There's some question about this, but I think that at that time, listen to this, is the Bema Seat judgment. Now track with me. The Bema Seat judgment is not whether you get into heaven, it's for believers. The Bema Seat judgment is not, do I get into heaven or not? No, you're covered by the blood, folks. You're in heaven. Your, your spiritual seat is in the heavenly places. But listen, you're going to get rewards. Bema seat judgment. You can go to 2 Corinthians 5. You can go to Romans and some other places where God's going to see, uh, evaluate what you've done with what you've been given. Right? You know this. We've talked about this several times. Could it be that he even stands there and accuses us. You see that? Isn't that interesting? I know he, right? Or, or is there some way, what was he doing while he was still up there in granted access? He's the accuser of the brethren. Come on, you're really going to, Tim, you, you know some of the thoughts he thought? You're really going to give him that? And that's a big deal for people. Raise your hand in your heart. Don't really raise your hand. But raise your hand in your heart if you feel like you're always letting the Lord down or always doing something bad and you're, you're feeling like, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I'm a good Christian, I'm a bad Christian. Remember, I don't like that word. But you, you know what I'm saying. You always feel like that? Well, guess what? The enemy of your souls, too, now... Let's go away from the Bema Seat judgment for a minute. The Bible tells us that he shoots fiery darts to you. He wants you to think certain things. And one of the things he wants you to think is, you're not worthy. But the point is, when he makes those sorts of things, listen, the Bi or Jesus told us in Matthew 5, I think it's verse 25, to agree with your adversary. What do you mean? It's like, hey, devil. You don't even know the half of it, bro. You're right. I am not worthy. And that's the point. Because look at the rest of this scripture. Because it says, even back there, they're he's the accuser of the brother who accused before God day and night. He's been cast down. So he was cast down. And he was accusing them. He might have even been accusing them at the Bema seat. But now he accuses us. And they, who are they, probably some of these people who got saved in the tribulation period, he's saying, how did they overcome him even in the tribulation period? By the blood of the lamb. Now listen, go back to my example. How do you overcome the enemy of your souls who's the accuser of the brethren who says you're not worthy, you shouldn't even be in the church, I can't believe you thought that thought, I can't believe you treat, right? All the different things that the accuser says. And we buy, uh, buy into it. We bite into it. We say, yeah, you're right. I can't believe I did that. How do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb. Now, why did I start this whole story with the Passover story? 
because you don't do anything. You just make sure that the blood's covering you. What does the work? It's the blood. What's efficacious? What's effective? It's the blood. Who, whose work is that? That's the Lord's. You just make sure it's covering you. So when the accuser comes, you just say, oh, yeah, you're right, man. I am a sinner, <laughs> but I'm covered by the blood. Is that liberating or what? See, because we got a bunch of Christians in the American church that don't enjoy their salvation. It's always so, I don't know what the word is. I don't know. This is a serious business, so it is serious. We're dealing with people's souls, so it is serious. But nobody's enjoying their salvation, resting in the salvation of Christ. I think one of the reasons is, is because they think they have to do more stuff to measure up. And then they look at somebody like, I don't know, you know, you know, Gertrude over here who does 70 million Bible studies a year and then goes, why am I not like Gertrude? But you're missing the point. Are you covered by the blood? If you are, ah, you're his. Okay, now listen, I really am talking in circles. I'm trying to connect them all. But now let's go back to the Garden of Eden. You know what he was really saying there? He said, he said uh, you know, if you eat this stuff, you're going to realize you're like God. But what's fascinating is, prior to chapter 3, we're told that she was already made in the, tell me, image and likeness of God. Are you tracking with me? And what he was trying to say to her, I think, is I want you to, you're going to be like God. You could be like me, but I think what also he was saying was, instead of just resting, here, do something so you can be like God. And he was misconstruing what was already true about her. She was already made in the image and likeness of God. Are you tracking with me? Which means from the beginning, people were putting trips on other people about how to be super spiritual. It's right from the devil. You, you see it? Instead of just enjoying the fact that you saw that you needed a savior because you were a sinner and the blood's been applied over the door of your life. And when you're like that, guess what happens? I don't have to measure up to her or him, and he doesn't have to measure up to me or her. No, we just abide with Christ. So that when we look down here, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb, because what they did in this situation, in the tribulation, they said, we're believing the Lamb. The blood is going over our hearts, our lives. That's how they overcame, even in the tribulation period, and by the word of their testimony. And this is, this is cool. What's the word of their testimony? It's everything we've just been talking about. Listen, folks. It's not, you know, the Lord raised me up to be this great lawyer and pastor, and I just, oh, man, I just made such a difference in the world. <laughs> it ain't that. It's grace. I was the dirtiest, rottenest sinner. I didn't deserve any of this. And you're saying that to yourself too. 
And the Lord came and gave me this picture, even all the way back in a book called Exodus, of just getting blood and just applying the blood. And now I know that that blood is the blood of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And now nothing can take that away. And the blood's been applied over my life. And my testimony is not that I'm any great shakes, but that he's used somebody like me by grace. He saved me and he's using me by grace. Amen. And so that, listen, they overcome by that and by the word of their testimony. The testimony is, it's the blood of the lamb. And then listen to this, folks. (laughs) You know what that all leads to? (laughs) They didn't love their lives to the death. Their lives were not more important than their relationship with Jesus Christ. Now listen, folks. Listen. What could man do to a church that really believed that? Could they make fun of them? Call them bigots and intolerant when in fact they're the most loving, right? I mean, how does that hurt? There's nothing that man could do. There's nothing the enemy could do. And here in this thing, they were being killed. We're not being killed. We're being made fun of maybe on TV or something. The Bible says if you want to really gain life, give yours up. <laughs> Lord, it's now that I know what you've shown me, the blood, the grace, I'm happy to trade my life for yours. Do with me whatever you have. <laughs> you, you folks, do you know how freeing that is? You never have to go around thinking what's my purpose in life. You know what your purpose in life is. It's to glorify the Lord. It's the freest and truthful way, most truthful way to live. It's, 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 um, it's uh, a light and yet heavy. <laughs> I mean, it's light because you can go anywhere and do anything, and yet it's heavy because you're making an impact, of, of course, the Lord through you, but you're making an impact for his kingdom. When, in fact, the important people of the world think they're making such a big impact and there's nothing about it. It's all vanity. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. He's been cast out. He doesn't even have access into heaven anymore, and he is angry. And during the last three and a half period, a year period of the tribulation period, he's going to pour out his wrath in a, just a much deeper way or a much more significant way, and it's going to be aimed right at those Jewish folks. When the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, Israel. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and a times and time and a half. And what is that great eagle? Some people say this is the only place where America is mentioned in the Bible. I don't know if that's true. You be a Berean. I think it's just some way of transporting them, but I don't know what it is. But they're going to be transported into the wilderness to the place where she's anointed for a time. And, and you know this, right? You know this, that many people uh, think uh, because of a number of different reasons, the scriptures in Isaiah, I think it's in chapter 16, that this place is going to be past Moab into a place called Jordan called Petra. Many people believe that. The rock city. You be a Berean and check that out. 
They're going to do this, though, for three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed out water, or spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. I don't know what the water is. It says like water. Is it real water? Maybe. But maybe it's just the fury. And that's just the way that John saw it and could say it. In fact, if you go back into Daniel 9, it talks about a flood in the prophecy of the 70th week. You can talk about it or read that. I don't know what it is, but I know this. But the earth helped the woman. In other words, God helped the woman somehow, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood. It, just, it got rid of what the dragon was spewing out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. That's the rest of those who come to faith during the tribulation. Does that mean both Gentile and Jew, or does it just mean Jew? I don't know. But what I think is, is the people who've surrendered their lives to Christ, he's going to continue to try and thwart that somehow. Well, look, and I'm done. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast right out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and in his horns ten crowns. The crowns have shifted now from the seven heads to the ten horns. And we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> but what do we want to know here? This gives us amazing, amazing um, peace, solace, joy. Uh, dare I say, uh, the pressure comes off, even though there's a lot of serious things happening. The pressure is because we overcome by blood, not by more Bible studies. And we should do Bible studies. We should be prayer group. We should be in praise and worship. But we overcome by the blood. Are you going through something in your marriage? Are you going something through in a friendship? Are you going through something in business? Are you going through something uh, called COVID? What do you do? You apply the blood. The blood's the answer. The blood, the blood, the blood. And we all, and I'm not even talking about COVID here, but we know that our testimony is graceful, and if we live, fantastic. We get to share the gospel of Jesus Christ the rest of our lives. But if we die, fantastic, because we get to be with the Lord. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for this word, and we ask, Lord, that you'd knit it to our hearts and make it real, and uh, that you'd take it by your spirit and work it in us and then work it out of us <laughs> towards other people. Lord, when you read these things, one thing is apparent. The time is short, and many have not applied the blood to their lives. And so we pray for our friends, our families, our enemies, we pray that you'd bring people into our lives where we could share the gospel, Lord, and we pray you'd prepare our hearts to be ready, bold witnesses, gently loving people with the gospel. Help us here, Lord, in all these ways, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen, amen.